0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Miniman yearning once again to live freely for the right to exist. If that is what you're looking for and that is your cause, this is your place. Daniel Horowitz, CR Podcast, Blaze Media. It is Thursday, the 23rd of June, although this is a pre tape. Uh, Because I do have jury duty. Uh, Yes, our corrupt judicial system, there's nothing even to fight for anymore in our legal system. But I got my duty. So this is a pre-tape, so I don't know what did or didn't go on in the Supreme Court. Although what I do know didn't go on is anything pertaining to our fight for medical freedom, our fight for the right to live as human beings. In other words, even if, you know, you could say, oh, states could stop abortions, but we have a bigger abortion. We have a death shot that is killing millions of people, and they're going for more and more and more versions of this and other similar things. And show me where we have a movement in place, even in the reddest states, focusing on the issues that matter, the time that matters, and the way it matters. You know, August 1st, Sam Adams spoke before the Pennsylvania legislature in philadelphia and this was 1776 three weeks after he signed the declaration and he framed the contest the coming war as follows courage then my countrymen our contest is not only whether we ourselves shall be free but whether there shall be left to mankind an asylum on earth for civil and religious liberty now, that sounds pretty grave. You can't get worse than that, right? I mean, whether there's an asylum left for civil and religious liberty, but it's worse than that. Our contest today, whether we succeed or not in our mission, is nothing short of whether we will have the right to exist as human beings. It is that simple. So that's why, I mean, I can't even look at other issues. Take a listen to Burla, the Pfizer CEO, Joseph Mangala incarnated, it was on MSNBC the other day. Take a listen to what he said about shots every year.
0: ...RNA, which can easily be reprogrammed every time the spike protein of a coronavirus uh, evolves or changes. Do you think we're going to get updated mRNA vaccines every season that will be directed to each new variation of the coronavirus? And will we have to take those shots every year? I'm almost certain about it. I say almost certain because, of course, regulators have the final say in all of that. But that's the beauty of mRNA. You can adapt your vaccine just by changing the sequencing, which is a very minor change, either manufacturing or in the properties of the vaccine, safety or efficacy, but can make a huge difference in the way that responds to the virus. So for this reason, I'm very confident that we will be able to respond very, very fast to every new variant.
1: Okay, so you heard that we're gonna have a shot every single year, and by the way, it's more more like every five months. So this is not over, and Republicans are too into this. Like, and I don't mean Republicans; I mean conservatives. Republicans are, you know, as you well know, they're fighting for what they believe, which is the same thing the Democrats are. They're too focused on I need a playbook to tell me what's a conservative issue and what's not, rather than there is nothing more conservative than conserving humanity against population control. I mean, just in the past few days, we had 26-year-old NBA star Caleb Swanigan dead, 25-year-old NFL star Jalen Ferguson dead, 27-year-old Miss Brazil, uh, Glacial Correa, dead. And it's all over the place, these sudden deaths. Okay? And we're seeing this everywhere. And there's no concern. There's no concern whatsoever from anyone. So how do we bridge that divide? How do we get the elected officials and red states to understand that this is the baseline of expectation? This is what we expect. We'll be watching you. We'll be monitoring. We'll be educating the public every day on the issues that are important, what you should be doing that you're not what you should not be doing that you are, so voters know that you guys are problematic and we need to change leadership. We're going to have a special guest on to talk about some of his successes in doing that. I know I was very down on yesterday's show, but I always want to come back and give you at least some sort of action item, what you can work on at a local level. What does it mean to fight on the issues that matter at a local level? What does that mean? I want to define that with our special guest. Just first, I want to return to something written in 2016, the famous Flight 93 election essay by Michael Anton of Claremont. Um, it's at com. You could just Google the Flight 93 election essay. And at the time, I noted, I only disagreed with Michael Anton's assertion, his solution, not his his uh, characterization of the problem which was spot on that he just felt oh if hillary wins we're going to be dead and if you know trump wins then then we have a chance when in fact trump turned out to be one of the hijackers um and in fact worse than you could imagine because because that was a false messiah we actually spent those formative important years as they were building up to the crescendo of transhumanism to bring out COVID fascism, to bring out, unleash this bioweapon upon us, rather than fighting what, what mattered, we were distracted. But be it as it may, his diagnosis of the problem at the time was perfect. And I wanted to really revisit that. He says, One of the paradoxes, there are so many, of conservative thought over the last decade at least in is the unwillingness even to entertain the possibility that America and the West are on a trajectory towards something very bad. On the one hand, conservatives routinely present a litany of ills plaguing the body politic: illegitimacy, crime, massive, expensive, intrusive, out of control government, politically correct McCarthyism, ever higher taxes, ever deteriorating services of infrastructure, inability inability to win wars against tribal sub third world foes, a disastrously awful educational system that turns out kids who don't know anything and at the primary and secondary level uh, can't uh, discipline disruptive punks and at the higher level saddle students with six-figure debts for the privileges, and so on and drearily on. Like that portion of the Mass where the priest asks for your private intentions, fill in any dismal fact about American decline that you want and I'll stipulate it. Conservatives spend at least several hundred million dollars a year on think tanks, magazines, conferences, fellowships, and such, complaining about this, that, the other, and everything. And yet these same conservatives are at root, keepers of the status quo. Oh, sure, they want some things, things to change. They want their pet ideas adopted, tax deductions for having more babies and the like. Many of them are good ideas, but are any of them truly fundamental? Do they get to the heart of our problems? Okay, this is beautifully written. They're all about the status quo. If conservatives are right about the importance of virtue, morality, religious faith, stability, character, and so on in the individual, if they are right about sexual morality or what came to be termed as family values, if they are right about the importance of education to inculcate good character and to teach the fundamentals that have defined knowledge in the West for millennia, if they are right about societal norms and public order, if they are right about the centrality of initiative, enterprise, industry, and thrift to a sound economy and a healthy society, if they are right about the soul-sapping effects of the paternalistic big government and its cannibalization of civil society and religious institutions, if they are right about the necessity of a strong defense and prudent state- statesmanship in the international sphere, if they are right about the importance of all this to the national health and even survival, that they must, then they must believe. Mustn't they? that we are headed off a cliff and he knows on goes on to say it's quite obviously that conservatives don't believe in any such thing they feel no sense of sense of urgency of an immediate necessity to change course and avoid the cliff and you know he goes on to talk about few of their prescriptions are enforced today of the ones that are the left is busy on so so let, let, let me let me just um, cut to one important thing here one important thing that I, that I want to get to. Many of these phony conservatives are appalled by the way we are acting. Okay? They're appalled by the way we're acting. They're like, oh, Buckley wouldn't have done this. This is not the way. And that's because back then conservatism was we had institutions. You had the beautiful America. The, you know, the radicalism was starting. And we wanted to defend the institutions from that onslaught. Now, not only did they succeed in their onslaught, but they have turned all those institutions into weapons, right? It's kind of like when you're in a military battle and your enemy gets a hold of a weapon, you actually have to come and blow it up. Not only is it not a help, you actually have to launch an airstrike so they don't use it. That's where we're at now. Status quo is not enough to just make sure they don't do bad stuff, if you don't affirmatively take certain actions and change course strategically and focus on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter, we are cooked. Not just America's cooked. America was cooked a long time ago. We need to recreate something new in a few states so that we can live. So he notes that, you know... Of the ones that are, of the institutions that are left, the left is busy undoing them, often with conservative assistance. The whole trend of the West is ever leftward, ever further away from all we understand as conservatism. If your answer is for conservatism to keep doing what it's been doing, even though we've been losing ground for a century, then you've implicitly accepted that your political philosophy doesn't matter and that civilization will carry on just fine under leftist tenets. And that is exactly the problem. I, for one, am not happy to continue that way especially when we have biological products being injected in us knocking off and thinning the herd every day now speaking of thinning the herd look especially if you got these clot shots you got to start thinking about life insurance the bottom line is most people do not get enough life insurance from their company okay they don't get enough coverage most people need up to 10 times more especially if you have a family like mine with four kids I want, to, I want to introduce you guys to Policy Genius. It's not an insurance company, but what they do for you is allow you to search online. You go to policygenius.com slash Daniel. You can get free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. So it's a quick link. That's it. You answer a few questions about yourself, and in minutes you can work out how much life insurance you need and compare personalized quotes. If you do this, if you go to policygenius.com slash Daniel, you could save up to 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with them. Their licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for a policy, so you could call them. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. This is how they make their money, so you can trust their unbiased opinion. They have no extra fees. They don't sell your info to third parties. They have thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot, since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for life insurance and placed 120 billion in coverage. You guys should do the same. Head over to policygenius.com/daniel to get your free life insurance quotes today. So folks, I just want to, before we bring on our special guest, just wanted to go through this. What is going on? The more you are injected, the more you are infected. This is from the Times of Israel. The number of coronavirus patients in serious condition in Israel reached 140 on Friday, making a near 70% rise since last week, with health, health experts warning the current situation was unstable. Now, they don't say in the article where is this coming from? Who is getting so sick? It's not pathogenic in the lungs. And everyone is vaccinated multiple, multiple times. Okay. And they mention Portugal with this dominant wave of the uh, what do they call it? I can't. I get confused with all of these terms they have. But the BA five. Why is Israel and Portugal getting hit? Well, because they're the most vaccinated countries. This is not funny anymore. From my buddy Jordan Schachtel, moderna's reformulated mRNA COVID injection, the highly touted and continuously delayed omicron vaccine, was tailor made to an omicron subvariant that no longer exists. okay, it has been gone for several months the b a1 it's now registering a zero percent of cases, and yet they released a press release on Wednesday noting that they will um, they'll they'll uh, Get their shot out in august and they even admit it has a weaker response to ba4 and ba5 which means it's negative if they're saying it's weaker and then by the time they get it out god knows what you're going to have and then the shots themselves continue to create viral immune escape you can't just say daniel this is sciency, this is medicine this is not conservative politics i don't care what the hell conservative politics is this is the issue of our time this is the pro-life issue of our time life, liberty, and property in that order, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. How do we get our people to fight? To fight on this issue? The original shots are sold to the government at $22 apiece, by the way, giving a 70% margin of profit for Moderna. They have now made... Billions of billions of dollars often expired, dangerous, heart-destroying shot. Truly, truly unbelievable. So getting back to what I mentioned before, that there is this gulf, this gap between normal human beings that are suffering the COVID fascism, the biomedical tyranny, the crime, the endless illegal immigration the grooming, the cultural rock gut, all of the ec- economic policies that are problematic, the systemic flaws in government and culture. Our revolution was catalyzed by state legislatures. Okay, that's that's what it was, the, the elected body closest to the people. And yet here we have so many red states. I've said all along that if we merely made state legislatures great again and red states red again, if we made... That representation reflect the values of the majority of the people in those areas. I joked around, and it's only half joking. I wouldn't even contest the presidential election. I'd say, "Hey, leftists, go have it. Go have the dead carcass. You're not gonna fix. We're never gonna fix CDC and FDA and DOJ and FBI and 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 the Pentagon for that matter. You're never gonna fix that. Okay? The blue states are irrevocably broken because of the culture." At least the places where on paper people are with us, the values and the governing culture and the policies flowing from there should represent that. Yet we saw most vividly with COVID fascism from day one, it went month after month, year after year, and nothing really changed in most of those states as we saw the respective health departments just act just like Cuomo and and Gavin Newsom in California in most of these red states. Didn't matter didn't matter. Why? And like we talk about, you go to Wyoming and South Dakota, there essentially are no Democrats in the legislature, literally. Like two or three in the state senates there, respectively, in those states. And in most of these solid red states, whether they're the South, the Great Plains, Rocky Mountains, yet what happens is all these Democrats get in and they say they're pro-life, they're pro-gun, so everyone's like, all right, that's great. Okay, we have Republicans. The only problem is Biden, the Democrats, and Washington, but we're good. And there's no effort to even understand the rock gut, to understand the need to reorient the politics of the state to reflect the values of the state because they're just unaware of the problem. And this is how we went on for years and years. And you have leftists controlling all these states. And this is what I keep saying. we got to fight this at a local level. Obviously, county, but, but state legislature is of vital importance. How do we do that? Where is there a successful model? Well, I always like looking at those that show success. Again, we can't keep doubling down on failure. How do we have an organization that keeps up the pressure, sets expectation, informs the, Repu- the conservative voters, breaks through these false you know, messaging and campaigns of these phony Republicans when they say, oh, I'm conservative, and they have all these ads, and they get elected, and then they stab us in the back. Hold them accountable. How do we do that? Well, there's one such organization that might be the best in the country at doing this. We've talked a lot about Idaho. And the reason why I'm interested in Idaho is, number one, it's a state where the Democrat Party is comatose. So that is a state we should be running away with the ball. But we're not. However, we are making strides much more than some of the neighboring states. As we mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a, an earth-shattering flip in the, st- the state Senate, which was always a big problem. You know, it's something like four to one Republican, but most of the Republicans were, were terrible. They were flipped, and we got a lot of conservatives in, and we might even get a majority, and there's a lot of potential come next January, and all these sessions in, in, in several states, but really, Idaho, I'm looking forward to it. There's a reason for it. There's an organization called the Idaho Freedom Foundation. It's a 501c3 educational group that focuses on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter, exactly what I'm talking about. And then they have Idaho Freedom Action, which is the enforcement arm that, based on that, they'll engage in electioneering and, and you know recruit candidates, go after these people, endorse And they were a big part of that success, if not the dominant part of that success. So with us today is a co-founder, Wayne Hoffman. Started this 14 years ago after a 20-year career in journalism where he understood the problems. By the way, the media in Idaho is terrible. It's worse in red states than blue states. I want to talk about that later. And, you know, he's really turning things around there. And I want to see how we can learn from that success. So, Wayne, thanks for waiting so patiently on the line. And thanks for joining us today at Blaze Media.
0: Well, thank you so much for having us.
1: Well, thanks for what you're doing. I'm really inspired. So what is your secret success? I have all these states where I can't get people engaged, where you have guys that, you know, the few of us, who study this know that they're horrible they're in with the medical cartel they're in with the education cartel they're in with the cultural rock god but they get the gop nomination and they block all good stuff how how did you win so many primaries
0: well it started with um a sort of a change in in process Uh, like a lot of other what you call a conservative or free market think tank Um, we started out writing white papers and, you know, here's our white paper, here are our great ideas for policy reforms. And it made some progress. You know, we were able to eliminate some crony taxation policies and get rid of some big government programs, but it was minuscule compared to what we really needed to do. And then I had a supporter of ours call me and say, how do I know if my legislator is conservative? And I said, you know, that is a really, really (laughs) great question. Um, We need to come up with a way to figure that I'm a very analytical person. I like to see data. I like to see evidence that something is taking place. And so we set about coming up with with, for criteria to evaluate legislation. And then we said, unlike other organizations, we're going to take our criteria. We're going to apply it to every single bill that goes to the Idaho legislature, and then we'll know. Because no one's then going to accuse, you know, like a lot of organizations, I'm not criticizing them. I just understand this is very laborious to go and look at 300 bills of legislative session, which we do. Uh, But we wanted to make sure people understood that if a person appeared to be voting left of center, it wasn't because we looked at two or three bills. And that's why it's because it's the sum total of their voting record. So the things we look at are things anyone would look at for conservative policymaking. Does it raise a tax or a fee? Uh, does it create a new government program? Does it take away uh, pri- private sector opportunities and replace it with government? Um, does it infringe on our constitutionally God-given protected rights? And on and on and on. So we have 12 different metrics that we look-, look at for every single bill. And then the other thing that we do is we make sure that our analysis is posted online prior to any floor vote. So everyone knows what our uh, view is on a particular bill. So what that did initially, people laughed at it. They're like, oh, yeah, no one's going to pay attention. And it was very educational because in a legislature with 105 members, uh, 85 percent of them are Republican. There were about six at that time. This is in 2012, who were voting truly a conservative uh, voting record. Uh, The rest of them, they're, they're indistinguishable from one another. Republicans or Democrats, all their votes were exactly alike. And we just kept doing this. And then we added Idaho Freedom Action. So then we were able to actually send notices to uh, constituents in in key legislative districts and say, um, ask, you know, Senator Smith why he has a 50 percent on the Freedom Index or, you know, tell Senator Smith to stop voting for these big government programs. And that really uh, turned a light on for people. And uh, I, I think that has changed the direction. So, If you look at the election of 2016, 2018, 2020, and 2022, we have gained conservatives in the state legislature, particularly in the House. The House is because there are more members there. There are 70 members. So there are more openings and more opportunities, and it's just a target-rich environment. Um, uh, But we made, in, in 2020, the uh, Idaho House of Representatives became the most conservative it had ever been in the state's history. And I'm a student of the state history, so I've I've looked back since 1890 when our statehood uh, occurred. Um, Looking back till today, uh, the state legislature, state uh, House, is the most conservative it's ever been. Now, the Senate is a larger problem, as you mentioned earlier. In the last legislative session, we basically could count on two out of the uh, mem- uh, 35 members of the uh, the Senate voting conservative. And uh, and that's not good. There, there are only Senate seven Democrats. Uh, what you find is that most of the Senate Republicans were voting with the Senate Democrats 90 plus percent of the time. The two senators that we had were both retiring. So we we're literally starting from zero in the state Senate for the 2023 legislative session. And we just said, look, we're gonna make sure people know what these legislators voting records are truly all about, because you're right. The secret formula for Republicans winning has been uh, I'm I'm a conservative. Okay, how are you conservative? I'm pro-life, I'm pro-gun, and I believe in in um, in business or something like that. And if you really press them, if you if you want more details uh, and they're afraid that their record is being called out, Then they'll uh, target the uh, most visible national Democrat, um, in this case, Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer, and redirect the attention to them. Don't you want to help me fight Chuck Schumer and and, and, uh, Joe Biden? And then people will go, oh, yeah, I, 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 I hate those guys too, so you must be a conservative. So we've switched the debate. So now the question in the 2022 primary was, which of these legislators were voting to fully fund critical race theory? Which of these legislators voted to allow obscene materials uh, to continue to populate our K through 12 education libraries? Um, which of these legislators voted to grow government? And most importantly, which of these legislators voted 90 plus percent of the time with the most liberal Democrats in the state, house, state Senate? And it, it worked. Those messages resonated with voters and they chose accordingly.
1: Now, how do you deal with the inaction, the obfuscation? So, so now we're at a point where we need to interpose against the federal government on so many accounts. And COVID fascism was a big one where if you do nothing, we're going to have tyranny. Right. We, we now have to act because of all the you know, years worth of com- complacency. So a lot of these guys, I noticed what they'll do is they often won't vote bad. But they'll be a big part of why we can't get good things to prevent the bad stuff that they claim to oppose, but then they quietly oppose any way to effectively combat it. And whether they're like, you know, a health committee chair or something, and they won't bring it for a vote, and they'll work out these deals, all this inside baseball that's extremely illuminating, but it's very hard to give over to the voters so that when they come the next cycle and say hey vote for me i'm a conservative i go to bible study with uh with all your uh family and back in this district in in uh you know meridian or wherever else in idaho that that they don't fall for it
0: yeah uh now these bad actors are not monolithic so they behave in a lot of different ways some of them are committee chairmen who refuse to hold hearings on bills and we held those folks accountable So the folks that refuse to hold hearings on bills that would ban vaccine mandates or ban mask mandates or uh, allow kids to make, uh, and and parents to make choices about their education in in the public school system, uh, we targeted them and we made sure they understood that it wasn't just about we're holding a bill in committee and refusing to, to hold a hearing on it. It was they're responsible for the fact that you don't have these freedoms anymore. They're the ones to blame. And in fact, in the state house representatives, there is a committee called the House Ways and Means Committee. It doesn't work like the one in Washington, D.C. Basically, it's the bill where it's the committee where where bills are sent to die. They never get a hearing in there. So if you want a, a bill to just go away without it being anybody's responsibility, House Ways and Means Committee is where it goes. So we had gun bills that went there. Uh, bills repealing Idaho's tax on food, uh, bills to um, uh, you know get rid of the mask and vaccine mandates and so on, all went to that committee. And we just targeted that guy. And we said, listen, this guy's responsible for there not being a hearing on that bill. It's not about procedure. It's not about process. It's about the fact that your conservative legislators had some really good ideas that didn't get considered. And this guy is to blame. Now, you also have folks that um, play a political game where they're uh, they're speaking up both sides of their mouth. So, for example, uh, there was a guy in a very rural part of the state, uh, Idaho County, which is kind of if you look at the map of Idaho, smack in the center of the state. There's a big chunk of land. Uh, it's a lot of farmland. It's a lot of uh, mountains and and um, and trees. There's not a lot of folks that live out there. And the uh, the guy who uh, the senator from that district said, you know, to his constituents, "Oh, I'm against critical race theory." Well, he's on the Education Committee and on the Budget Committee, and what did he do to stop critical race theory? Well, what he did was he he proposed cutting $400,000 from the college and university budget in Idaho. So then he can go back to his constituents and say to them, I cut critical race theory from our colleges and universities. i got to tell you something, as you can well imagine, the university budgets are a lot bigger than $400,000. Try $600 million. So what he was doing basically was saying to the colleges and universities, you guys continue doing what you're doing. I'm just going to, you know, slightly tap you on the wrist a little bit, and make it look like I'm doing something mean so that you stop doing the terrible social justice stuff on your campuses. But don't worry, you're pretty little heads. You'll be able to continue doing what you're doing. And this legislator, his name is Carl Crabtree. He tried that and he lost overwhelmingly. In his Senate primary, so I think people are starting to wake up to what's going on. But that that's another form of bad behavior where they kind of uh, just by way of another example of um, uh, last year there was a bill. This was the first in its country a bill to take on critical race theory. Now the bill didn't ban critical race theory because the Senate wouldn't have it. The House would have banned critical race theory outright, but the Senate would re- refuse to do it. So instead, they passed a bill. That said, uh, you can use critical race theory in Idaho, but you can't compel a kid to adhere to it. So in other words, you can't condition a kid's grade on their refusal to write an essay about how wonderful Barack Obama is because he's Black. And so that bill passed. Well, the news media got it wrong and reported Idaho bans critical race theory, which caused other states to do the same thing. Mm. (laughs) Other states actually banned critical race theory. Idaho didn't because, again— Uh, these legislators wanted their constituents to believe they were taking action on an issue that was important to them, but really they were doing the bare minimum. So I think people have woken up to this. They're starting to realize that there's a problem in their state legislatures. What what I've told people is, you know, you've been watching what's going on in Washington, D.C., and God bless you for doing that. I'm glad you're paying attention to who your members of Congress are. I'm glad you're watching what the president is doing and and you're 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 checking out, um, you know, the various news sources to see what's happening. But do you know who your local legislators are? Because they're the ones who could be stopping this. Congress is broken. If you elect and I've seen this. I worked for a member of Congress um, and I remember when the uh, Republicans and you do, too, when the Republicans controlled both houses of Congress and the White House. And what did they do to restrain the size and scope of government? Nothing. So knowing that you might have that happen again, let's say in, in the general election, you win back the House, you win back the Senate, and in 2024 you get the White House again, do you really think Congress is going to fix things? Probably not. So what's your next best hope to save America? Your next best hope is to get a state legislature, one state legislature. I'll start with one. So you give me more than that, great. But I'm starting with one, which is Idaho and get that legislature to actually respect and vote for and put in place conservative public policies. That's how you win. So
1: the 800-pound gorilla in the room when you're talking about a smaller populated state like Idaho is that the special interests in some ways overpower the state even more. So you have this perpetual conflict in these type of red states where, you know, let's say the voters voted for Trump 2-1, to but the biggest employers and industries are usually healthcare, okay, or something of the like. And yeah. they are so responsible. Obviously, they're bought into all the woke stuff as well. But the medical fascism, I mean, that's the biggest threat to humanity, to, to liberty. Um, anything we want to do on medical freedom, obviously the whole Medicaid business, Medicaid expansion with Obamacare. Um, you now have just the the Nuremberg Code violating discrimination, the the shots and the denial of treatment and um, going after doctors, their licenses for actually, you know, treating rather than killing patients, all these problems that existed in the red states just as bad as the blue states. How do yeah, you that, that, speak over that? How do you speak over it when they, they overpower the legislative bodies?
0: Yeah, that that's why the Freedom Index has become so powerful, because we offer some other voice in the room. So typically the special interests, and they've been doing this in Idaho and other states for decades, they show up, they demand something, and they typically get it because they've given a good explanation for why they should go do something. So the explanation might be, oh, it's going to lower health care costs. Um, oh, it's going to protect public health and safety and so on. And we've been able to go in and say, well, that's interesting, but what about this other impact? What happens if you expand the government program? Does that really help people, or does it benefit a certain special interest? So providing this other viewpoint that has never been provided before on every single bill is something that has been extraordinarily powerful, because then you have legislators who heretofore would say to themselves, well, I have nothing to lose by voting for this big government program. Uh, My constituents haven't called me to ask me about it or they've not emailed me to ask me about it. The special interest groups want it. So therefore, I should just go ahead and vote for it because no harm, no foul. I'm still going to get reelected and maybe the special interest groups will drop me a check. Well, now they can't do that. Now their cumulative votes in favor of bigger government is recorded and available for everyone to see in very large print. So if you're the guy or gal who votes for big government, every single time, if you're doing whatever the special interest groups want you to do, that's going to become very, very clear, very obvious to people very quickly just because of that that number. And then people can also dive down and take a look at uh, what constitutes that Freedom Index score. What are the bills that the legislature voted on? It's not one, it's many. And so that has been able, we, we've been able to use that tool to beat back the special interest groups, not always, but quite often, um, and having just another tool out there that says, wait a minute, have you considered the impact on, you know, the private businesses and on the guy that wants to get a job in some industry at some point, but they've been shut out because, you know, the special interest showed up to, to you know, get, protect their market share um, the tax policy and, and, you know, who benefit the the special interest, the cronies who have deep pockets and want to get a big tax break to locate a business in town and compete against incumbent businesses. All that has been laid bare and it's been just a powerful tool to provide a, a different perspective. So I'm, I'm very proud of, of what that tool has done. I expect it's going to continue to, um, grow an in influence and hopefully and I get a lot, you know, we don't really advertise the, the freedom index. I don't spend a lot of money promoting it, but now I hear from candidates all the time who either tell me gleefully or uh, mournfully that when they go knock on doors, one of the first questions that, uh, you know, a person answering might say is, you know, what's your freedom index score or how would you expect to, to, to find yourself, on the Freedom Index. They might not even know that it's the Idaho Freedom Foundation that produces it, but they know that the Freedom Index means something.
1: So here's the big question that I'm sure a lot of people want to hear from you. What went on with Brad Little? In other words, how is it that you seem to have a little bit more of an informed electorate over the years, and they got rid of a lot of incumbents in the Senate, Yet Brad Little after I mean, you had people arrested for for singing in church choirs outside. You had him, you know, adamantly keep the masking in place. You know, when Janice McGeehan tried to get rid of it for that day that she was in power, um, he, he even modest reforms to lock down emergency powers, he vetoed and opposed. How did he get away with that?
0: Yeah, it's a function of the same recipe as before, um, where uh, he he goes out and he says, you know, remember I'm I'm pro life, I'm, I'm pro Second Amendment, and uh, and most importantly, if every one of his campaign uh, literature, every letter he ever sent out, every postcard, every uh, TV ad, it was all about how he was be- beating up Joe Biden. So what he went around doing was he said, you know, reelect me, I need your help to beat Joe Biden. And there's a section of the state that really hasn't quite figured out what's going on. And that's Southern Idaho. So I would say credit to a lot of the great activists who are are in Idaho's first congressional district, which runs from the panhandle, the Canadian border uh, down uh, West of Boise. Um, Those folks really engaged and they knew what their legislators were doing. They knew who the good guys were and the bad guys were, and they voted accordingly. But in Southern Idaho, there's still a big black hole of information. And the people there, um, they read the literature, they saw the ads, and they believed what uh, Governor Little had to say, which is he's the the pro-liberty guy who's beating, you know, the leftists in Washington, D.C. So we still have a big gap statewide that we have to fill. um, But I think that it's ultimately fillable. We're already seeing some Some cracks in the armor down in the southern part of the state, and I expect the next couple election cycles, you're going to see a a pretty big change even there, which will really, really change not just the the outcome of the state legislative races, where you get an even bigger conservative majority, but also you'll see a lot of state races that that turn as well.
1: Now, I know you can't give over your secret sauce, but I got to ask you, how do you raise money? I mean... When you're going up against a special interest, this has always been the issue that it takes money to run a campaign, and there's no money in freedom. There just isn't. Uh, it's in the opposite, and therefore you don't have the name ID, and that's why the bad guys always win, and we can never get help. And you, you, you've been able to at least raise some money to get help for uh, these candidates. Um, w- what type of people are behind this? You know, Without getting too specific –
0: Sure. Well, uh, you know, we could always use more money, believe me, because we are always outgunned. We're always the folks that are clawing for every dollar and and we're always looking for every advantage that we can get in terms of producing a better outcome, uh, because the left does have some built in advantages. I mean, many of their uh, programs that, that we're fighting are funded by taxpayers for crying out loud, even in Idaho. Uh, we still pay for public television and national public radio and we you know write checks to these leftist organizations so they can work on a variety of different leftist programs environmental refugee relocation uh, pride events and all that kind of stuff so that's baked into what we're up against but what i would say is that you know over the 14 years that the freedom foundation has been in existence um, idahoans have gotten to see that we mean business and we mean to produce results. And the other thing that they've seen is we don't just view ourselves as being better than California and better than Oregon and better than Washington, which is the typical narrative. Oh, those states are terrible.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: I consider that to be like saying that <laughs> the skinniest kid at fat camp is you know, doing a good job because he weighs 500 pounds, but not 700 pounds. Yeah. Every state in America is socialist. Every one of them. Every and one. I mean this sincerely. If people don't believe that, go pick up a copy of the Communist Manifesto and read the 10 planks and see if which of the 10 planks we have not in, adopted in every single state no. in the country. And the answer is none. We've adopted every single plank, including in Republican states like Idaho. Absolutely. So I tell people this and I say, you have an opportunity here to fix what's wrong, not only in Idaho, but in the nation. I just need one state to lead out. And donors have bought into that message. They see that we're doing something different, that we're asking really, really tough questions, that we're willing to say the things that no one's willing to say. For example, I, I said you know, three or four years ago, government should not be in the education business. And every one of my friends said, oh no, you can't say that. You have to protect and defend the public school system. And I said, that's just crazy. The public school system is failing our kids, and this is before CRT was, you know, yeah. revealed as being a thing. I think it was going on. That was just on, educational
1: so before you even get to the cultural rock gut.
0: Right? It was. It was. You know, half the kids graduate from school and can't read, write, do math, or know anything about history. And isn't that kind of stunning? Doesn't anyone want to solve that problem? Maybe it has something to do with the the just the foundation of the government school system. And there's literature going back decades talking about that problem. It's not just the teachers' union, it's foundational. Uh, the teachers' union is a big part, part of the problem, but there is a structural problem with the government education system, the same as um, there is for every government program. Reagan was right. This government's not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. And he didn't say, well, but public schools is an exception to that. Public schools are the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the problem. That's the part that you can see so uh we, we've been very, very open about that. We've talked about how you know the government really shouldn't even be in the Medicaid business. There's not a legislature in the country, to my knowledge, that has ever evaluated the efficacy of Medicaid, apart from looking at the money yep. that it brings in and the people that benefit from it. And as a result of that, roughly half the babies born in Idaho and in the rest of the states are born on Medicaid. Jeez. And they're gonna be lifetime welfare recipients. Meanwhile, you don't have money to fix your roads, don't have money to fix your bridges. Where's that money going? Well, it's going into Medicaid. It's a big black hole, but it's worse than that. And this is the the, the big thing that I think our donors have come to recognize. When a kid goes to school and kills people, and this has happened too many times to, to count, taking away guns isn't going to solve that problem in addition to being violative of our God-given constitutionally protected rights, um, you'll, if you took away all the guns in the world, no more guns, guns are, for whatever reason you wake up tomorrow morning and all the guns are gone, you still have an 18 year old with severe mental health problems. Why is that? Well, it's because we replaced government. We replaced parents with government. When you have a problem, whether you're in Idaho or in Tennessee or California or Florida, New Mexico, it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, now the solution to everything is a government program. We're going to put you on um, you know, Medicare, or put you on food stamps. We're going to put you on uh, women, infant, and children. Uh, we're going to put you on uh, temporary assistance for needy families. All these different programs out there, which has replaced charity, communities, churches, families, friends, neighbors. All that stuff has been replaced by government, and that is a, a, a portion – of why you have folks that are running around society who are mentally zombies, and, uh, and they're on government programs, and the government will keep them there, and if they appear to be failing in any way, uh, they'll give them more money or some more subsidies or send them to more government-provided treatment programs. That doesn't solve the problem. So what we're talking about here isn't just let's scale back Medicaid, although that's the path to getting there, It's let's consider whether this program is actually doing more harm than good to the quality of life in our American republic.
1: What are some big ideas you have on medical freedom? Obviously, with the vaccine state, the surveillance state and the two come together, the vaccine registry, all this stuff, um, we're now at the point where people cannot seek normal science based care. I mean, it's it's that bad Um, and be partly because of what you're talking about, the funding of the. You know, all these programs actually funds this quasi public private venture socialist cartel, and then and it's not just the cost; it's the quality of care. Like we're seeing, um, actually we're only going to do things that are harmful and make you get those things that are harmful. Oh, and the things that actually have science behind them. Actually, no, you can't get that, and you have no freedom. I mean, this is the right to life. This is a big problem now, um, and doctors are basically you know brainwashed into this they all have to work for a cartel and even the few independent ones like dr ryan cole we've had on the show many times from your state um so he's he has his own independent uh diagnostic uh, lab as, as a pathologist but you know the state then the state medical board goes after him what are some big ideas that you have planned for the next legislative session that maybe people can mimic in other states
0: Well, I I wouldn't say next legislative session because every state is different because uh, some of these things that have been ongoing in the medical space is going to take many years to unwind. Maybe we'll do it a little faster with uh, some conservatives in office. But uh, truly, I think that it's going to take a while. What that looks like, I'm not sure. But um, certainly this has been ongoing for a long time. But uh, to answer your question, I'm in the Milton Friedman camp. If you if you look on YouTube, uh, look for Milton Friedman's speech to the Mayo Clinic, I think in 1974, where he said if he had his way, he'd get government completely out of out of medicine. And I think that's the answer. I've been watching our state legislature for the last uh, 25 years, no, really longer than that, almost 30 years. And um, I have never seen the government do anything to improve the quality of health care. All they've done... Is hyper-regulated, make health care more expensive, and the treatments people actually need um, less accessible. So I think number one on the agenda is to end any kind of vaccine mandate, any kind of mask mandate. Um, uh, get rid of uh, the, the experimental treatments that are taking place on Idahoans and, and other people across the country, where where uh, people are being told to take a vaccine that obviously doesn't help anybody, but Um, Certainly it benefits the big pharma. They're making a lot of money off of it. But I think bigger ideas include breaking down the hospital monopoly. Every state has this problem. Uh, Every state has a lot of money, state, local, federal money going into the hospitals. They get a billion different uh, uh, tax exemptions, property tax, sales tax, income tax. And what they've done as a result with that monopoly, with all that money, is they've just expanded their monopoly they've closed down they've, they bought up private practitioners they've closed down those practices now you're you're just a a number a widget in the medical assembly line if you want to seek care, you go in and you can spend you know five minutes with your practitioner and you might not see the same one the next time you go there because they're just on an assembly line so you really have to unwind that that monopoly that the hospitals have created in every single state. The same thing is true of the insurance companies, which that's manifested since the 1940s, where they, they started with you can't buy insurance across state lines. It's for your protection after all, right? And, um, and so those those lines are coming down, but it's taken an awfully long time because the regulatory apparatus is still in place to make it more difficult to buy an insurance plan, an insurance product in another state. Also, the um, you've got uh, restrictions on um, on uh, what insurance products can be offered. Um, meaning, the government tells the insurers what kinds of things have to be included in a plan. And so, as a result, insurance products cost more money and um, don't deliver the services that you actually want. So, you've got it. Deregulation is the answer to all of that. And if you really want to know, I think that every single medical intervention needs to be um, really uh, seriously contemplated. I'm talking non-pharmaceutical solutions to problems. Um, I I think that I know that's a huge debate over marijuana and things like that, but we do know that there are people who benefit from marijuana. We also know there are people who benefit from things like ayahuasca and San Pedro and uh, Bufo, and there are a lot of different products out there that um, uh, that are helping people with anxiety, depression, PTSD, and it doesn't come in a pill. But those things are banned by a lot of states for no real reason, except that the government doesn't want people to have access to something that competes with big pharma.
1: Well, you got your work cut out for you with big pharma. That is really the 800-pound gorilla. That in the Chamber of Commerce in every state. Um, so again, you could find out more at the Idaho Freedom. Idaho, Idaho freedom.org is your website. Um, good luck on the next legislative session. We hope to hear some good things from there. But I think, again, you have a pretty good model for other people to follow. Um, I think most other states are lacking something that potent on the education and activism side. So congrats on your work and looking forward to seeing your achievements in the future.
0: Well, thank you. And if anyone wants to replicate what we've done and want to want to consider looking at how we managed to get what we what we've uh, done uh, make it successful, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. Our information is at IdahoFreedom.org.
1: Perfect. I you absolutely will get people because we have many people itching to do what's right. Take care and God bless. So again, that was Wayne Hoffman. He is the president of the Idaho Freedom Foundation and the Freedom Pack. And look, you know, he's doing something right. Imagine if we had an organization like that in every state, um, that well organized, focused on the issues that matter, the time they matter, the people that matter, pressure them, inform the citizenry, and then recruit candidates against them. This is where it's at. My only fear is come... The end of the year, it's all going to be about Congress, all going to be about the presidential run when we have so much ability on a state level to change things. If you get the right pressure, the right culture in. And as I'm discussing this, it's really a perfect segue to the end of the show. It's just coming across the wires, a huge story. It's going to be overlooked, but it's a huge story. This is from the Tampa Bay Times. Publix won't give COVID vaccine to children under five. Basically, Publix is, you know, they spearheaded the vaccine drive in Florida at the beginning, you know, when it was seniors. And they are the largest employer in the state of Florida. But they're also everywhere. I mean, they're certainly all over the South. Big company. Why do you think they announced that? That's what leadership looks like. DeSantis changed the culture. See, we all think, all right, even if you get in, what do you do about the private sector? It's all messed up. And I keep saying, for the most part, most of the companies, it's down, it's a trickle-down effect of the, of the oligarch. I disagree with what Andrew Breitbart said, or maybe it's just outdated, that politics is downstream from culture. It's not. Politics has become culture. It's all-encompassing. It's a blood sport. It's everything. It dictates the culture. So when you make it clear that Republicans and Democrats all agree on something, guess what? The companies are just going to compete to go in that direction. But if you make it clear that you mean business, see, initially, you're going to get opposition. There's no doubt. But if you're willing to break through that, which he did in Florida, you're going to reverse the culture eventually, or at least create a detente. So my understanding is it's not just in Florida. Because of their pushback, they're not doing it anywhere. Again, imagine if we had every state, every red state doing the same thing. Then again, none of this would have gotten off the ground. We live in a world that is full of, this is the Fourth Reich. Okay? It's not a matter of a nation state. There's nowhere to run. When one nation state tries to take over the world, inevitably they're going to have competition. You're going to have other nation states. We don't have nation states. We have evil people that have been implanted in every governing class of every Western country. There's nowhere to go. The only thing we have left is the decentralization of the American government more so than others in terms of the states it's a large enough country to utilize the areas where the majority and supermajority of people think like us. How do we make the political climate and culture in tune with that? And this is why electing one man who gets it is worth much more than 50 Republicans who don't. And in fact, those are not worth anything. They're negative efficacy, much like the Pfizer shots. You know, this news out of Pennsylvania. This is called the Fabrizio Word Poll. Interesting poll. It's the second poll I've seen that has the Pasha, the Grand Mufti, um, Melmet Oz, insanely unpopular among the electorate. Okay? Extremely unpopular. So the top line is it has him down six in the Senate race. From Fetterman, the Democrat, Mastriano, the Republican running for governor, is much better. is only down three, and again, keep in mind Mastriano has his entire party dumping on him. He can't raise money, and they're all publicly saying he's horrible. So it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Whereas Oz has the whole p- p- party support and yet Mastriano is doing better than Oz. We were, think about this, we were told we couldn't have nice things. Kathy Barnett, really the only Senate candidate this cycle, running fully against Pfizer on medical freedom, other stuff, and also the Republicans claim they like black conservatives, this and that, so she had the full packaging, and they said, no, she's not electable, without any sort of evidence, any polling that even demonstrated that. So we got Wizard of Oz, thanks to Trump, and ironically, he's thrown Trump overboard, but that's the story of Trump's career. And this guy is now so unpopular. Listen to this. I don't even know how you achieve this. He's like minus 30 among independent voters. I don't even know how that happens. This is a perfect example. You're most likely going to lose anyway. Okay? It's not even like, it's not even like Oz is going to win. He's going to lose. Now, look, things in the, with inflation, the country gets so bad, it could be, you know, any any Democrat will lose. But the reality is, this is a perfect test case where you would take someone with a broader appeal, running on medical freedom, and shaking up the race. And then Fetterman, who was lieutenant governor under the jerk Wolf governor that had the lockdown, but Fetterman, for whatever reason, seems to be unscathed and pretty popular from it, it would go back on him. But it's not going to be a guy like Oz who could do that. A three-person race. We need to resurrect a Ross-Perot dynamic. Again, to start a new party is very hard. I'm all for it. But what we can do immediately, it's getting late, and some states probably passed the deadline, but I'm just talking about in general... Making it clear to the GOP that we will run independent candidates and, and in a smart way, not just people that are known as like, like you, you wouldn't want to run someone like me. You would want to run someone who maybe traditionally was a little bit, you know, on the other side, who has spoken out passionately about some of the issues we're, we're uh, dealing with. Someone like an RFK Jr. type of guy. And I'm telling you, you could upend the entire system that way. But remember, inaction is not an option. Doubling down on failure and the same failed conservative movement stuff is not an option either. Let me know what you think. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Let me know your ideas. Um, Shout out to all you guys from Idaho. I know we get a lot of emails from Idaho. I've covered it a lot. I think there's a lot of potential there. Let's do this. Let's replicate um, Mr. Hoffman's ideas here. Let's get these groups started in other states. And folks, I'm tired of losing. It's time we actually stand for what's right. And you know what? Maybe, just maybe, you'll win. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.